0: Hi, I'm Dylan Taylor, Chairman and CEO of Voyager Space Holdings. I'm Ken Evans, Founder and CEO of Orbit Guardians. Hi, I'm Raphael Rotkin, Founder of E2MC Space Ventures. And I listen to The Cold Star Project. And I listen to The Cold Star Project. And I listen to The Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Coldstar Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Kanigan is a member of its Board of Advisors. Talk with us at Coldstar Star Tech to find out what we can achieve together with your Lean Six Sigma or Operational Excellence programs. And check out opexsociety.org to learn more. So we often have technical experts on this show, this time I wanted a business perspective and from outside North America, although our guest today was born in the United States, he moved to New Zealand ultimately and that is where he has set up his consulting firm Roto-ET. His name is Nick Burrows, Nick does have a Masters in International Economics from Johns Hopkins and also a Doctorate in International Business from the University of Auckland. So. He is not a total newbie to international relations. Anyway, <laughs> I'm really enjoying talking to him and learning about his perspective on the space industry. Nick, welcome. So you have a really interesting background, Nick. Uh, you started out in, in like Oregon and went through the Peace Corps and got a PhD in international business. So I was like, well, this is this is a lot. You know, How the heck did you end up
1: in New Zealand? Tell us a little bit about your your journey. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, the New Zealand... Uh the reason I came to New Zealand was basically for a PhD. So I was working in DC at a business intelligence firm and I was, um, enjoying it, but sort of wanting a sabbatical maybe from consulting. And so I looked at uh, PhD programs and I was intent on doing a UK style as opposed to us style one. Um, cause I didn't want to spend seven years doing it. I wanted like more like three or four years. Um, so I reached out to a bunch of potential supervisors and there were four in the UK, one here and uh, the main the, the main difference here compared to the UK ones was I modified my proposal so that I could get money. So I was, you know, basically fully funded to do a PhD. So I asked my wife and girlfriend if she'd be down and to go to New Zealand and she said sure if we could bring the dog and We came to New Zealand, and it's been great.
0: Fantastic.
1: I I am curious about this Peace Corps experience. Tell us a little Uh, bit about that. Peace Corps was amazing. Peace Corps was, uh, I mean, one of the most, like, life-defining things I've done so far. It was um, after college. uh, Well, I applied at the end of college, but basically I didn't know what I was going to do after college, and everyone kept saying, Nick, you should do Peace Corps, Peace Corps, Peace Corps. And I didn't want to because I felt an urge to resist what everyone told me I should be doing. But I ended up just applying for it on, a, you know, sort of not on a whim, but not with a bunch of investment in the in the possibility. And then, um, yeah, I got in and they sent me to Thailand, rural Thailand, for where I lived for two years. First in Lopuri and then Ganchanapuri, so central Thailand. And it was amazing. I lived with the host family for two years. I worked in two schools in the middle of nowhere. And actually the PhD in a way was trying to return to Thailand. So my PhD compared New Zealand and Singapore, the way the the governments of New Zealand and Singapore support firms going into Thailand. So it was Hmm. an excuse for me to go back to Thailand for a year. Um, And yeah, it's just, I really recommend actually to Americans, to uh, young, well, actually, Americans of all ages, because they like to get diversity, uh, yeah. and you know, it tends to be dominated by college students, but or just people who came out of college. But I really recommend it as a as as something to do if you don't have a a plan about what you ought to be doing, because <clears throat> it's really it just opens your eyes up to so much. You know, before I went to Thailand, I knew nothing about Thailand, and the Thailand that I knew is not the Thailand that ninety nine <laughs> out of a hundred Americans know when they go to Bangkok and Phuket it was uh you know hanging out with farmers basically for two years and you learn the language you just really immerse yourself in another culture and yeah it was it was wonderful
0: awesome yeah I think that that's got to be an incredible experience so you ended up in the space industry
1: yes how how tell us about your company uh and, and what you ended up doing so um basically uh So when I started the PhD, I knew I wanted to go back into consulting. Um, But I had the idea that I wanted to sort of be my own consultant. Um, So whereas before in D.C., my job was when a project came up, I would kind of connect the dots between projects and experts in our network. I was kind of the network coordinator of subcontractors. So, you know, if something came up in Nigerian oil, then I would find all the, you know, kind of West African slash oil, like, you know, energy people and come up with a list of potential people to help us with the project. And um, I wanted to be one of the experts that someone like me would be reaching out to, to kind of connect the dots. Um, Cause uh, yeah, it seemed more interesting to build up expertise rather than just process other people's expertise. So, but I did not have an industry or a geography um, idea about like what i wanted to specialize in in my old job i was all over the place like all many different industries many different geographies and so um really i just chose space on a whim i i i was uh i was in new zealand new zealand has amazing outdoors spots and i was at lake rotoiti uh which is um on the northern bit of the south island and I was looking up at the stars, totally sober, I might, I might add, thinking about how amazing the stars are and thinking, man, space would be pretty cool. And I just kind of went for it. And um, the, the basic, my, my, my thought process was, okay, I don't have any space experience. So I started a website called Filling Space, which lasted about three years. Um, it's still online, but I, it's really not active anymore. It stopped being active earlier this year but every week I would, I would feature an interview with a space expert. Mm-hmm. And then after, after I did that for a while, then I reached out to potential clients saying, hey, I'm a consultant, I have Filling Space, can I help you with space stuff? Um, and for free, I started by saying for free, pro bono, and then yes. And so I developed a kind of a portfolio of work experience. And then uh, people started to know who I was and basically, paid projects started coming in um so yeah that was kind of that was the process of how i entered in and now it's uh obviously business development is always kind of uh you always have to keep it going it's like is the term like a spin wheel is it you gotta like Mm -hmm. keep it going um in advance of when you need it to be producing for you but um by being out and about people sort of approach me for projects which is nice hmm. Um, so
0: I guess tell us a little bit about what services you ended up offering
1: uh, and just as
0: importantly what you don't do.
1: Yes. OK. Um, so basically, I do uh, three types of services and they kind of lead one into the other. So market research is uh, helping clients understand how what they do. Uh, relates to or compares to what else is happening in the market. So either Mm -hmm. in terms of competitors or suppliers or customers or whatever, or bigger trends, the next bit. So that's market research. Next is strategic advisory, which is okay. Now that we know what's happening kind of in the market context and how, what you're doing fits in, what should you be doing? Um, So that will be like, you know, should we go here? Should we go there? Um, You know, should we be, Pursuing this kind of business or that sort of business something like that or you know what are should we be what should we be concerned about in terms of like our compliance program or something like that mm-hmm. how do we set up a compliance program and then the final bit would be uh, business development which is kind of me once we have a strategy then I will help implement the strategy and mm-hmm. they don't necessarily occur sequentially like that but in my mind that's they they do feed one into the other um, mm-hmm. And the common theme with all of the, uh, the, the, the projects, whichever service they're in is, um, I'm not like, I'm not selling truth. So I'm not going to come out and say like, here is a hundred percent. The answer for you. What I do is I have a lot of questions in the beginning with the client about like, okay, what are you trying to do? What are some useful sources of information? How should I approach the sources? how should I present the findings to you? And we do that back and forth, um, lots of back and forth. And then the findings are a process, they're a result of that process. So it's kind of like a, you know, I will tell you, um, you know, these are what people with this sort of profile say, this is what people with that sort of profile say. Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of um, a more nuanced, uh, I'm not like a strategic, consultants where I'll be like, okay, if you do ABCDE, you will be, you know, Elon Musk. I'm just kind of constantly saying, okay, this is what various people are saying, but caveating it according to what we know about their interests, um, and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, what do I not do? I, uh, I used to have the, I, I, there are two things I don't, I don't do sales and I don't do lobbying because, um, Mm -hmm. you cannot, uh, my whole shtick is I talk, usually to people, sometimes others, there are open sources as well, but oftentimes I'm talking to people. Um, I need to be kind of like a neutral arbiter. You know, if I'm, if I'm, if if I'm helping a client and I talk to you to help me answer the question for the client, um, I can't be your buddy. I can't be like invested in cold star technologies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, so I need to be kind of like a, a neutral person to say like, okay, well, Jason said this, um, but we know this about Jason's interests. So obviously we can kind of, you know, assess what he said, according to that, you know, like a very good example is like, um, uh, does, does the price per kilogram, is that the most important thing for launch lot services? If you're talking to someone whose entire business rests on lowering the price per kilogram and they say, yes, you're like, okay, obviously they're invested in saying that. Um, whereas if there's someone else who has a different proposition, you know, maybe their um, launch service is about, um, you know, higher pri- price per kilogram, but more specificity in terms of orbital, you know, insertion point, then they'll say, oh, no, price per kilogram isn't that important. And you need, you need to be able to know that about their interests to assess what they're saying. And you need in order to assess what they're saying, according to their known interests in kind of like an honest way, you cannot be representing them or tied to them. So my whole shtick is kind of like a neutral collector of and assessor of information. So I don't lobby, I don't uh, sell on behalf of clients, and then um, I, yeah, I, I'll be quite discreet with, uh, with kind of like an airlock between the clients and the sources of information so that, um, yeah, I'm basically not an agent of anyone. Um, I don't do, I tend not to do quantitative analysis cause it's just not my strong suit. I don't do forecasting cause forecasting, I think is lame. No one knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you what people think will happen and I can tell you what quantitative analysts think will happen, but I will not do the quantitative an- analysis and the forecasting myself.
0: Okay. Can we zoom in a little bit, segment, segment, geography, you know, what yeah. areas that you're serving?
1: Uh, is it just uh, New Zealand
0: space companies, for example?
1: Yeah. So um, it's so geographically, it tends to be New Zealand uh, located or interested. Um, but increasingly, I'm trying to branch out to Australia mm-hmm. and then Asia Pacific more generally. My goal is to kind of be like a, a nexus between Oceania, Asia Pacific, and North America because I'm am a mm-hmm. person from the United States located in New Zealand. Um, In terms of uh, sector, and by sector, I mean public, private, or academia, I'm quite agnostic. I'm also agnostic in terms of segment, meaning where in the value chain in the space industry the the projects are. And the reason for that is um, in my projects, usually I will be bringing, I'll be weaving together diverse perspectives on something to help a client gain better understanding about what they ought to be doing. And it's important to get outside the silo. Um, You know, that's basically a recurring issue in Mm -hmm. space is everyone's trapped in a silo. So, you you know, the person making the synthetic aperture radar sensor is a genius, but they don't understand financing. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, the person who understands the entire process for securing spectrum authorization doesn't understand ITAR or something like that. So um, I try and have as Broader range in terms of segments. So, like upstream, midstream, downstream, and sector, public, private, academic, so that I can be kind of constantly weaving together different views on things.
0: All right, Nick. Tell us a little bit about some of the common difficulties that you find people in
1: the space industry running into. Cool. Yeah. So, um, generally, as I said before, it kind of has to do with that siloing issue. Mm -hmm. So, people are very locked into the thing that they're obsessed about. You know um and in space uh in my experience which is limited but in my experience a significant majority of people doing space stuff are engineers essentially or aspiring engineers <laughs> they're kind of stem type people
0: yeah
1: um and they're you know they're obsessed with playing with their legos and making cool things out of legos but they have zero interest in the world's use for their little lego creations mm. Um, And anything, you know, any attempt to do business development or strategizing or compliance or financing is like a post hoc justification to play with Legos, basically. Um, So the, yeah, the common shortcomings, I think, are thinking outside the Lego silo. Um, Like what do non-space nerds, uh, non-stemi space nerds think about what you're doing? So every uh, quarter I publish a brief on an issue that is kind of, I see as an obstacle to doing business in the space industry. Um, And then what I'll do is every quarter, I'll talk with a bunch of smart people on the topic, kind of like I do for my projects, but it's much briefer. I'll talk with a bunch of smart people and then I'll write a three page brief about this issue and then I'll share it with all the people I know. And that does help with business development as well. And it helps me learn about things. So those uh, those briefs, the topics they have covered are issues that I think are common obstacles to doing business. So um, let's see, the most recent one was securing spectrum authorization. This is, you know, uh, I'm sure pe- some people listening to this know this. I don't, I'm not an expert in anything, by the way. That's my whole shtick, I'm not an expert. I just talk to experts, so. Um, I'm sure there are people who know this much better than me listening, um, but securing spectrum authorization is a giant pain in the butt. You have to navigate national and international bureaucracies, <laughs> uh, like you know, multi-year, expensive, uh, legal, political subject matter expertise required in order to make the thing communicate, like to get the data down. So no matter how cool the satellite is, you know, you need the spectrum authorization. That seems to be something people oftentimes underestimate um reputational issues so you need reputation that was another topic that i focused on reputational issues like what is your reputation um are you associated with something that a certain client doesn't like if i google you what does what's your profile look like and this is kind of from my due diligence background you know everyone does a google check on everyone before they get involved with them and you you know space firms really need to think about um reputational issues. You know, are they associated with military activity? Are they, you know, is is some kind of catastrophe the first thing that comes up in Google with them? You know, are they behind the curve in terms of having green propulsion systems or whatever? Um, You know, and all of that matters depending on who you're, you know, the people are that you're trying to forge relationships with. So those are two issues, spectrum authorization, reputational issues. Another big one I think is venture capital. So, um, you need to have financial expertise to think about your financial options. I do, I'm not a financial expert, but, you know, that just kind of makes sense. Like, where are you getting your financing from and uh, and why? Why does it make sense given what you want to do? And um, I think there's a pretty big issue, especially with startups, about uh, thinking thinking they need venture capital as opposed to other sources of financing. And then not knowing how to speak to venture capitalists to explain why what they're doing would be of interest to venture capitalists, especially venture capitalists who think about space. It might be easy to dupe a non-space focused VC person, but a space focused VC person, you know, you need to make a convincing case. Um, communications, it's kind of related to the reputations thing. You need to, like, you need a communication strategy. And these, again, this is a thing that um, engineers playing with Legos don't think about, but like, you know, you need, you need to think about okay how does this lego thing that you made connect to the rest of the world a communication strategy there's a reason every firm above a certain size has a communications person it matters you know you need to be you'll have limited bandwidth in terms of how you communicate yourself and what you're doing to the rest of the world you need to choose which audiences matter you need to understand what they care about and you need to craft a communication strategy accordingly um so those are four things, securing spectrum authorization, reputational issues, venture capital, communications errors. Um, and yeah, there are others. Uh, one one big one is ITAR compliance. that uh, to me, that's one of the biggest ones, ITAR. It's like dual use technologies and, mm-hmm. you know, um, governments have all sorts of things, not just ITAR, but other governments have all sorts of rules in place about if you do this, you can't do that. It's like, okay, so if your plan is to sell to the United States and you have... Some relationship with a you know a, a uh, an, an entity from a government that the United states isn't a big fan of, well, good luck selling to the u s um, that's another big one
0: Okay. next should people be going to your website to get these reports or do they sign yeah. up somewhere
1: um, i go? don't i don't have like an automated distribution list. I just add people to my list and then I huh. send. Uh, a little a little email but um yeah feel free to check out my site to see all the previous briefs it's just rotoet.space or uh yeah feel free to contact me okay and
0: i guess let, let's run through this then uh can new zealand and, and australian firms work together on space projects with u.s companies what barriers um, or enablers do you see to that
1: um Yes, they can. I mean, uh, of any countries in the world, they're probably the best positioned after like maybe Canada and the UK. Uh, you know, if you think about ITAR stuff and the Five Eyes. Um, what, like what's the sort of complementarity of New Zealand and Australia for for uh, in terms of like what they can do that US firms mm-hmm. can't? Um, I think probably the, benefit uh of new zealand and maybe australia there's the crying baby again is um it's a small market here so it's easy to prove yourself with an idea you know like rocket lab um rocket lab uh, came up with an idea and started to make a name for itself as the up-and-coming launch services provider in new zealand to the point that it was then able to go over to the States and become the behemoth that it is today. Um, So it's kind of, you know, they often describe New Zealand this way, not in the space industry, but in many places, it's kind of like a little sandbox where it's easier to kind of toughen up and prove yourself before you then expand to a large market. Um, and I imagine there's also probably a lot less regulatory. Uh, New Zealand is one of the easiest places to do business in the world, it, and Singapore usually buying for the top spot in terms of ease of doing business. So it's probably kind of a nice place to go or to start, build up an idea, get a little bit of a, a track record, and then go to the States. Whereas in the States, you know, there's tons of different people all trying different things. It's, it's you know, it's difficult to cut your teeth in the States and survive. Hmm. all right that's where i am all right yeah yeah <laughs> how, how would you like people to reach out to you and and rotoiti um honestly i just uh email just nick at mm-hmm. rotoiti.space um would be the preferred way to reach out uh okay. you could also uh, shoot me a message on linkedin and yeah those would be the preferred ways to reach out to me
0: awesome well, I appreciate your perspective. Thanks for doing this. Sure thing. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining Nick and I for this discussion. This is Jason Canigan, the founder of Cold Star Tech. We are the systems of process installers for space and defense contractors. If you're struggling with your business development strategy, come and talk to us. Maybe an innovation workshop is the idea for you. Go and find out more. Go to coldstartech.com and look at our innovative capture page. And uh, if you like what you see, and you want to talk more, book a call. It's very easy to you could just pick a time from my schedule at the bottom of the page there. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.